John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. A few weeks ago, we lost the great Carl Reiner, a man whose career spanned eight decades from the early days of television through feature films and all the way to Twitter and even TikTok. Now, there was no question in our minds that the film we wanted to review in his honor was Oh God. It was a movie I loved as a kid and watched over and over again. What I didn't expect was how profound, hopeful, gentle, and kind this movie really is. Written by the very wise and very witty Larry Gelbart and starring John Denver, Terry Garr, and of course George Burns, Oh God's simple message seems as powerful today as it was when I first saw it 43 years ago. So if you haven't seen this wonderful film, go on a spiritual journey of your own, not to the 27th floor of a 16-story building, as John Denver did, but to cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream Oh God, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to be a fan of the Geek Buddies, like I am, you probably heard them discuss so-called cancel culture on their latest episode. Well, this is a topic I've been thinking a lot about, and I was frankly jumping out of my skin to join the conversation. So this week's short on patreon.com slash the cinephiles is the first ever crossover between the Geek Buddies and the cinephiles to discuss cancel culture. It really was a great conversation about a very delicate and complicated topic. So that's a short on cancel culture tomorrow on Patreon and Carl Reiner's Oh God coming this Friday the cinephiles how can you permit all the suffering that goes on in the world ah how can i permit the suffering yeah i don't permit the suffering you do free will all the choices are yours choices what choices you can love each other cherish and nurture each other you can kill each other Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist and uh, writer, producer, and host over at The Outlaw Nation. 
You know, I was just thinking every, every, every week I say I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor. Yeah. Not only have I not made a film in a while, I'm not currently a directing instructor. Oh, I've well, been, I've been laid off because of lack of enrollment because of the oh, coronavirus. I did yeah. not know that by the way, this is actually something I did not know yeah. before you just said it. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not teaching in the summer session and, well, and I get it. Like who wants to go to film school when you can't actually make a film? Yeah. You know? And so enrollment's like down in half and cut in half and we'll see what happens in the fall. But at this moment, I have not made a film in a while, and I'm not a directing instructor. I'm a writing a book and a podcaster. I guess that's what I am right now. Yeah, um, yeah okay. And uh, today, once again, we're here for the sad reason, although this one isn't that sad. Right, right. Because we lost the great Carl Reiner at the age of 98. It's not too bad. And it's not bad. <laughs> I think he did real well. Yeah. And he has a very interesting life and we want to do a little tribute to him. And we want to talk, we talked about what would be our favorite movie of his to do. I know obviously he did four films with Steve Martin, including the jerk. He did one of your and my guilty pleasures. I know, which is summer school. Yeah. But the film that we chose is, Oh God. And I'm really glad we did because this is a very special movie for me. And I want to give a little bit of biography of Carl Reiner. He was born in 1922, unsurprisingly of Jewish immigrants as Basically, almost every single one of these comedy people of this era was Jewish, with very few exceptions, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke being one of them. Um, he was just working as a machinist at 16 years old when he saw an ad for a drama program uh, sponsored by the WPA because it was the middle of the Depression. And so if uh, President Roosevelt hadn't decided that artists needed to be supported in tough economic times, Carl Reiner probably would never have become a person we were talking about. Yeah. And since we're right in the middle of another event like that, just want to point out artists yeah. need our support. Yep. Um, he was drafted in 1942. He worked as a radio operator and a French interpreter. Um, he was in Hawaii and he was working as a teleprinter operator. And the night before he was supposed to ship out in World War II, he went to a special services production of Hamlet and an actor in it who had known him from the New York theater, Maurice Evans. Oh, wow. Saw him and drafted him into the special service. Huh. Dr. Zayas himself <laughs> is the person that we owe Carl Reiner not going off to war and instead working for special services doing sketch comedy and monologues and songs and directing and all of that stuff. Uh, he married uh, Estelle uh, Lobos, I think her last name, Estelle Reiner in 1943. And of course, she is most famous for being the person who said, I'll have what she's having in Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally. They were married right up until she died, I think, in 2008. So that's oh. a tremendous, tremendous marriage. Yeah. After the war, he went into Broadway musicals. And in 1950, he was offered the job of straight man on your show shows with Sid Caesar. And, of course, this is something that's coming up over and over again on The Cinephiles. The greatest writing team of all time came up when we talked about Mel Brooks. It came up when we talked about Woody Allen, who was on this uh, writing staff, as well as Mel Tolkien, Neil Simon, the playwright, his brother, Sam Simon, and Larry Gelbart, who is the uh, writer of the film today and also the person who created MASH for television, also the writer of Tootsie. This is an unbelievable writing staff. 1960, uh, well, what I should say is in the mid-50s, he started doing this little joke sketch with his friend Mel Brooks at parties, yep. and everyone would say, hey, do, do the 2,000-year-old man, and all the 2,000-year-old man was is that he would go up to Mel Brooks and ask him a question. Mel Brooks had no idea 
what the question was going to be, and he would <laughs> improvise as a 2,000-year-old man the answer. And they continued doing this up until at least the last few years. And Mel still didn't know what Carl was going to ask him. What was the means of transportation then? Mostly fear. <laughs> fear transported you? Fear, yes. You would see an animal would, would growl, you would go two miles in a minute. They put out the first comedy album of this in 1960, uh, won a Grammy. Um, in 1959, he created a TV show called Head of the Family. And he starred in Head in the Family, and Head of the Family was a story of the head writer of a, a variety show modeled after the show of shows. Uh, and Carl Reiner starred in it. They shot it. The network didn't like it. And it got stuck in a drawer. And a, two years later, the network said, you know, we really liked that idea of that show. We just didn't like you in the lead. <laughs> and so they brought in Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke. who had been started in my uh, uh, Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. And it became the Dick Van Dyke show. And this is one of the great sitcoms of all time. Agreed. I mean, that you know, yes, we could talk about The Honeymooners and I Love Lucy as these formative sitcoms. I think in a lot of ways, Dick Van Dyke Show is the master class of this is how you do classic situation comedy. I remember that being one of the first shows I watched as a kid growing up. You know, they showed the reruns there uh, growing up in, in, in D.C. and watching that. And all of it, him tripping over the Ottoman, Mary Tyler Moore playing his wife. You know, these this was the kind of stuff that my parents loved who were into discovering American culture. So I would sit with them and watch these shows and be immersed in this kind of uh, uh, comedy. And I loved it, man. And, and it's when I heard that story, read that story a few years ago about it, that it was Carl Reiner's show initially right. that they replaced him. I thought that was really funny. And they made the right move because clearly uh, Carl's not necessarily a lead, but uh, Dick is. So 15 Emmys it, and, and they quit right while on top. Yeah. The, 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 it's like four or five seasons and they said, we're good. And they stopped. And if you, I swear, if you go like go on Google or something and do a search for the top 10 Dick Van Dyke shows and watch some of them. Yeah. They're great. They're Dick, they're, the whole cast is so funny yep. and, and, and they do all sorts of different stuff. It is a great, great show. Yep. Um, he uh, acted in the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming, yep. but was very unhappy with the way people were handing his material. And that's when he's really started directing. Yeah. Uh, he directed uh, Enter Laughing, which is based on his book, which is a very interesting book, kind of semi-autobiographical about him as a kid becoming going into the theater. In 77, he did Oh God, which we're going to talk about today. 79 is The Jerk. Then three more films with uh, Steve Martin, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains, and All of Me, all yeah. of which are very funny. Yeah. In the year 2000, he won the Mark Twain Award. In 2001, he was in the first Ocean's Eleven in there. So, yep. so this is an unbelievable career. <laughs> he is the only person, I believe, in history to be on The Tonight Show with every single one of its hosts. Yep. Jack Parr, Steve Allen, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, and Jimmy Fallon. He, he appeared on The Tonight Show with all of them. And I'm going to say something. I'm going to make a statement oh, about boy. him. Here I think he might be the greatest straight man of all time. Yeah. I don't think you can. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, so, so you start with your show shows and that's mm -hmm. his job is to support one of the funniest people in the world, Sid Caesar. Then we have the 2000 year yeah. old man where he is with one of the funniest people in the world, Mel Brooks. And then in my opinion, kind of being the director is in a weird way being the straight man. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And so he brings us uh, Dick Van Dyke and shepherds that show. And then he, he brings Steve Martin into the world of film, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so I think his ability to support other people that are really talented is pretty amazing. Yeah, Carl Reiner for me, uh, Steve, is one of my favorite uh, uh, comedians for so many reasons. And he does get, we'll get into it when we get into the movie, he does get a little funny moment him, that he puts himself in in the movie as well. But, you know, growing up, and you've said this to me before, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, unofficially uh, Jewish or into the Jewish tribe because of my love of Jewish comedians. And certainly Carl Reiner falls into that, Mel Brooks. There's so many. These people decorated my upbringing. They're, they're, all their comedy, sure. their situation, those are the things that I watched on repeat all the time and Carl Reiner was one of those guys that you saw all the time pop up as a, as, as a guest star on so many of these incredible shows and he always was fantastic he was always funny he was always good at what he was doing he was always inventive he was always brilliant so for me you know it, watching those shows was better than any comedy class you can take any any uh, uh, instructive situation you could find yourself in just plop yourself down and if you have any remote interest in being an actor or understanding comedy Watch those shows that Carl Reiner is involved in. Watch those shows that he writes. Even when I when I did Laughter on the 23rd Floor, the Neil Simon play about right. your show of shows, it, I played the Russian writer. I played Val, and it was great to explore that text and then go back and uh, find news articles or at, at the infancy of the of the internet, look up you know stuff about uh, your show of shows and the recollections that Sid Caesar had about his time on there with Mel Brooks. Carl, Re uh, Carl Reiner, uh, uh, Moody Allen, so many people came out of there, like I said, Larry Gelber, so many people involved uh, in, in in it. And so it was great to see that. And then they would all pop up in 80 sitcoms as older sure. comedic actors, as either the moms or the dads of the new generation of comedic actors that were popping up in sitcoms. So for me, they've always been a part of my life. And Carl Reiner was somebody who, who just always kept tabs on. And then, you know, like you said, Summer School, a bunch of his other films that I really enjoyed watching. I always loved his approach to comedy uh, and his delicacy with which he approached comedy. He respected it uh, and understood it, but also knew how to use it to get a point across subtly underneath the surface of everything that was happening, you know? And I always appreciated that with, with Carl Reiner. And of course he spawns Rob Reiner who, uh, you know, decorates the 1980s and early nineties with some great movies that I still revere. And we've talked about on the show before. So yeah, great stuff, man. Just a great legacy. If you're 98, you're going to go. This is a good legacy to leave yeah. for the world, man. And and one last thing, sorry, Steve, one last thing. His friendship with Mel Brooks kind of decorated the last 10 years of my life as I listen to them on multiple podcasts, Mark Marin, other stuff, their interviews, you can watch them on YouTube. And their friendship is such a thing to cherish. The fact that they would still go over every day to either Mel's house or Carl's house, sit down at four o'clock in the afternoon and watch shows, have their dinner and hang out with each other every day. Uh, who doesn't want to have a friendship like that in life uh, that guides you through so many things, weathers all the storms and is there for you until the end. Yeah. I'm picturing you and Shannon McClung in your nineties <laughs> going to visit each other every day. Uh, Vogel will still be there somewhere. He'll probably he'll own the place. In. He'll, he'll, he'll probably own the place that we're hanging out in, but yes. yes. He, he, he has a lot of people to visit though. <laughs> he does. He does. You're right. You're right. Uh, a little bit of pre-production. I didn't know this was based on a book. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought it was all Larry Gelbart. It's based on a book by Avery Corman, who also wrote Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
And so the book was very short. So I found it on Audible. It was four hours long, which means listening to it at two and a half times speed. It only took me like an hour and a half. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, okay. It, it's, it's like, it's the perfect example of this is a, a movie where they bought the idea. Mm-hmm. There is a guy who's uh, contacted by God, who's like an old Jewish man. Yeah. The character is totally different. The situation is totally different. And all the wit and wisdom is not there. Yeah. You know, and, and I, so I think if you're a screenwriter and you're interested in doing adapted screenplays, I think you should read two books and watch two movies. The first one is read Peter Benchley's Jaws mm. and then watch the movie and then read Avery Corman's Oh God and then watch the movie and understand how they took something. I mean, P- Peter Benchley's Jaws is a very average book yeah. and how they took that and transformed that into something great. Yeah. yeah. But the idea is so good. It was optioned over and over again, but nobody could figure out how to make it. Yeah. Finally, Larry Gilbart bought the screenplay. And I, I want to tell my Larry Gelbart story. I told this story four years ago when we did Young Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Which is that there's a, there was, I watched a, um, a panel, like a PBS panel, where they had the whole crew from your show of shows, including Sid Caesar and Imogene Coco and the whole writing staff. Yeah. And they asked Carl Reiner about what it was like to be the head writer in that room. And, or Mel Tolkien, I think was the head writer in the room. And they, and they said, well, we were lucky because we have the funniest person in the world in Mel Brooks and the wittiest person in the world in Larry Gelbart. And the, and then perfectly the interviewer asked the follow-up question, what's the difference between funny and witty? And as he's finished, he hasn't even finished that question yet. <laughs> Mel is taking a drink of water and does a huge spit take all over the stage in the <laughs> mid sentence. And then there's, and everyone laughs and there's a pause and Larry Gelbart very calmly turns to the interviewer and says, Wit is dry. It's <laughs> <laughs> just so perfect in this. Mm. Is, and, and Larry Gelbart, a great writer, obviously. And uh, he at first thought he was going to direct it. And mm. since the old guy, old Jewish guy in the book was kind of a Mel Brooksy character, he went to Mel Brooks to play God. Right. And he went to Woody Allen, his f- co-writer on the show of shows, to play the, the main character. Yeah, makes sense. Both of, both of them said, um, we're directing our own movies. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to do this. Yeah. And really, thank God. I can't, I'm so happy, particularly Mel Brooks didn't do this movie. Really, both yeah. of them. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be totally different. Yes. Um, and so that fell through. And uh, Carl Reiner, who had initially refused to do it because it seemed too much like the 2,000-year-old man and he didn't want to do that, now got talked into do it. And one of the producers that came on is Jerry Weintraub, who is mm. literally still producing today. He's an executive producer on Westworld. Yeah. And Jerry Weintraub, which I didn't realize, you want to know how he got his start? How? John Denver's manager. Ah! <laughs> so what he had produced oh. was all the John Denver specials on yeah, TV. Yeah. That's what I used to watch like crazy. They're great. Yeah, and so yeah. he's the guy who convinced John Denver, who had never acted before, to do this film. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I want to talk about one more person and then we'll get into the film. Okay. Um, and that person is Diane Crittenden mm-hmm. and Diane Crittenden is the casting director. And if you were at my house, 
you would know that every single time on this podcast, I say, man, this is a great cast. And do not say the name of the casting director. <laughs> My wife is mad at me and rightly so because casting directors are a much maligned profession. Yeah. And I want to tell you a little bit about Diane Crittenden because she is amazing. Okay. She did this same year, Star Wars. Wow. Going in Style, Mosquito Coast, Witness, the main event, a whole bunch of good movies. And she did 13 Days with Kevin Costner, where my wife was working in the accounting department. Okay. And she was very unhappy. And she was doing paperwork for Diane Crittenden for, you know, expenses. Yeah. And talked to her about that she was unhappy. And they just started chatting. And Karen said, I have a theater background. And Diane Crittenden said, well, why don't you get into casting? Why are you doing accounting that you hate? Well, you should get into casting. That is why my wife went into casting. Wow. This woman, that conversation, she went, maybe I should do that. Yeah. So she is both an important person in terms of casting. And I got to tell you, this cast is crazy how yeah. many people are in it that have these little tiny parts that are great people and uh, also has a big effect on my life because that's changed the direction of my wife's uh, life. Right, right. And of course, the most important casting person we have, to, we have to mention is George Burns. Yeah, George Burns. He's great. Yeah. He was 81 when he uh, made this. He lived to be 99, almost just shy of 100, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, how Do you remember how you first came to Oh God? Yes, I do. It was my dad. My dad, uh, had, uh, he took us to see the film. He took us to see the film. And I remember just, because it was a sweet film and he loved John Denver and John Denver radiated G ratings. And so we went to see something safe with him. And I just found myself um, just thoroughly enjoying because I'd seen George Burns in variety hours. So seeing him in this film, I just was at that age where I could grasp a little bit of what um, there was to enjoy for a kid of my age in this movie. And uh, I was a John Denver fan as, a, as a, his music as well. So there was a lot of things that were working in conjunction for me uh, that uh, helped me to enjoy the film. And it's been one of my favorites ever since, whenever it's come on television. And I remember my dad, we went to go see the sequel. We went to see Oh God, yeah, You Booked, And we went to see Oh God, You Devil, which was a terrible movie and a terrible experience. But we went hoping it might be good. But yeah, so this was a film that was a very big part of our uh, communal love as a family of a movie. And it, uh, this one was certainly uh, was in that category. For me, it's exactly the same. Uh, it was, you know, I'd seen, we all love John Denver, sang those songs, had those albums, saw him on the Muppet show, went with the family right. to see it because it was a family friendly thing. And this movie, I must've watched, I don't know how many times I watched it yeah. as a kid over every time I was on, I watched it. It was on yeah. a lot. I don't think I'd seen it in 10 years when we sat down to watch it last uh, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I was nervous because yeah. I was like, is it going to hold up? Is it going to be cheesy? And a uh, spoiler alert. I think it totally holds up. I, I think, think it's still topical today, Steve. Yeah. yeah. And I think, does it look like kind of a lower budget, family friendly seventies film? Sure. Is the music of a very specific family friendly seventies style of film score? Absolutely. But does it hold up? Oh, yeah. This is a brilliant film in a lot of ways. Would you like to get into Oh God? And the movie opens with that 70s music. And we are watching a montage of John Denver, the assistant manager of Food World. Played, his character is Jerry Landers. 
And this is crystal perfect save the cat. And what save the cat means is have your main character do something good so we're going to know they're a good person and like them. And he does like five or six things where you get who this guy is and that he's a really good guy. Yeah. The, the most interesting one, by the way, is he sees a woman shoplifting some meat. And when she goes to check out, he steps in and, and takes over the cash register. And we don't know exactly what he's yeah. going to do. Right. But we know he's, he's, he's going to handle it in a gentle way, whatever he does. Right. Uh, and he jumps into his AMC pacer <laughs> and drives home. Uh, and there we meet uh, Terry Gar. It's like the morning and they're getting ready. And, and uh, this is, by the way, our fourth Terry Gar movie. Yeah. Um, and shout out to Terry Gar, Steve, who always seems to take these roles of being the frustrated wife of a guy who's, you know, going through some weird shit. You know, so like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and this movie, you could definitely uh, see very similar situations that both of them are going through. What's crazy about that? And by the way, the other movies we did with her are Young Frankenstein and Black Stallion yeah. that she's in, uh, where her parts are very different. But with Close Encounters, they're really close. Mm-hmm. And she shot them back to back. This is both 1977. She plays the wife of someone who's going through a crazy stuff, who's embarrassed and finds it really difficult. The difference is, and this, man, go watch those two performances because they're really different. Yes. Even though kind of she's playing the same beats. Yes, but she's nicer in Oh God than she is in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She's more understanding and forgiving in Oh God than she is in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So yeah, two yeah. different characters for sure. And she's, you know, he's, John Denver has some weird mirror thing so he can <laughs> cut the back of his hair or something. And she's using like a, a breast exercise thing that yeah. there's a little joke on. That, that is, was actually Terry's device and that was her idea to do that. <laughs> I just want to point out something and I'm going to hit it a couple of times. Is I, I listened to the commentary track. Commentary oh. track had Carl Reiner, Larry Gilbart, nice. and Terry Garr. Oh, that's great. Um, it's okay. It's a good commentary track, not a great one. Okay. They make so many kind of old man comments about Terry Gar's appearance and mm. how sexy she is mm. throughout this thing. It was just, and you hear Terry going, "Oh yeah, yeah." And you could just hear the, "I'm still dealing with this." Yeah, because in this moment and throughout, they're like, "Oh, look at your legs." You have the, everyone wanted you. You know that, right? Wow. You know, it was wow. all this stuff. It was like, Ugh. and it wasn't yeah. that. It wasn't. Maybe quite as spot on as that, although it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we all wanted to date you, all this kind of stuff. It was like, oh, stop. Why are you yeah. doing this? Yeah. Anyway, we're, yeah. yeah, it was creepy. And uh, we have normal family talk. And then he opens up a letter and he reacts. The letter says, God grants you an interview and gives an address and time. It's a gag. No stamp, no return address. Pretty crazy gag. And then, and again, this is very good screenwriting. He blows his nose, throws the tissue, misses the garbage can. Airball. Artie Coogan. What? Artie Coogan. That's it. Oh, yeah. No, an English teacher wouldn't misspell interview. Well, neither would God. <laughs> and anyway, he can't go to this meeting because he's got something to, he's got a meeting for work. And they say goodnight. And he, he crumples up the thing and throws it in the basket and says, Sorry, God. Two points. Because he makes it. Yeah. And this is why it was important that he missed the shot first, because he because we want to focus on the fact that he's made this shot, goes to sleep, suddenly he wakes up because the TV's on with static, puts his head back down, there's a crunkling sound, and that letter is under his head. Mm-hmm. And he picks it up, bleary-eyed, and goes, but I'm, it was two points. 
<laughs> and now we're at the grocery store with the first of this amazing cast, which is David Ogden Styers. The voice of Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. He was on MASH for years. He, I think he's still. Wait, is he? Did he pass? No, he passed away a f- oh, couple, okay. few years ago. Yeah, but he's a character actor extraordinaire, man. Such a good actor. And he's upset because he's pruning back his romaine too much and he's not oiling his cukes. Your cukes. Do you oil your cukes? Do you oil your cukes? And Jerry, being the good guy, says, no, I can't treat my customers like, like that. It's dishonest. And then as he's looking at this big, fluffy romaine, he pulls out a leaf. And what's inside the leaf? The, the letter. He goes, I got to go. Yeah. Drives off to the building where he's supposed to meet God. Do you know what building this is? Uh, I think it's the one of the Twin Towers down there in Century City, right? No, it is oh. the same LADWP building that we just talked about oh. that they go into in Inception. Wow. Okay. Which is just crazy. That's, that literally just recently we talked about this exact same building in Los okay. Angeles. Okay. He goes to get in the elevator. No one gets in and a whole crowd of people run to try to get the elevator that he's in, but it closes before they get there. The door opens on the 27th floor. Very white. There's tension in the music. He opens the door. It's a white room with a chair and a white intercom box. Looks around, starts to leave, and we hear... Stay. What is this? You're right on time. I like that. This is how the interview room would look like, right? I mean, the idea of it all being all white and clean and sparse. And this is the first of many hints that he is, that God is trying to present things in a way that uh, humans have created in their heads that they would conceive of or accept as being from God. Who's that, Artie? God. Come on, Artie. No, it's me. God. God Almighty. Big G. (laughs) And by the way, John Denver picks up the intercom, which is not attached to anything. There's no wires on it. How do I know you're God? I mean, all I hear is a voice on an intercom. Well, you're not allowed to see me. Which is something that obviously we violate in a couple of scenes from now anyway. (laughs) This is so brilliant to watch now, Steve, as older men, as men who've watched so many films, analyzed so many films, you know, ripped them apart, put them back together, like gotten into the deepness of it all and explored themes and all of that. This is such a brilliant film. There are so many great, well-written scenes between George Burns and John Denver that can have more meaning than what you're just watching, right? In this situation, they've essentially taken the stories that we've read in the Bible and brought it into what was at the time, modern times. Right. Uh, Moses, same thing, uh, you know, questioning God, not, not believing that God would pick him. Why would you pick me? I can't even speak that well for public. All of this idea that God picks people who are not who you'd normally think would be their messengers. And there's a reason for it. You know, same thing here with Jerry. Jerry's not even a believer in God, in which we find out in a little bit. But this whole idea that every single person he picks is like, doesn't believe that it's actually God talking to them, has to question it, and then has to see certain things in order to finally accept it. But it's that thing again of faith, faith versus religion, right? Faith is believing there's a bridge there when you don't see one, right? Religion is telling everybody there's a bridge there, having them give you money, and then they go ahead before you do. And that's what I love about this film. It shows you again that faith in anything uh, will cost you something, uh, especially if it's faith when you feel like you're standing alone, to prove something or to change something in the world. And just this is the beginning here of someone uh, questioning the situation because they don't think they're worthy or they don't think it's the right situation for them to be in. 
And I, I love that. Well, and I mean, to, to your point, this intercom is the is the burning bush. Yes, the burning, absolutely the burning you know, bush. Right, right. And, and the thing that I think the movie does that's so brilliant is it's not just that it humanizes God, although it does in a way. And it's not just that we see the transformation of Jerry, this very good man and what he has to go through. I think it humanizes Moses. Yes, yes. Because, because he goes, oh, because now we kind of see well, what must it have been like for Moses to get contacted by the burning bush? <laughs> and how did he feel? And why me? And all that stuff. And that's what he goes through. And there's a great moment where he's kind of saying, oh, so you're really God. And he opens up the door expecting to see the wizard, you know, behind the curtain or something. There's nobody there. And finally says, I'm leaving. Where do you think you are? What do you mean, where do I think I am? Right here's where I am. That's where. And where is here? 1600 North Hope Street, r- room uh, 2700. Jerry. There's no 27th floor here. And at this point, Jerry is like, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and Jerry goes down the elevator, goes out, talks to the security guard, says, excuse me, uh, how do I get to the 27th floor? In this building? Yeah. I'm afraid you'd need a can opener. We only have 17 floors. And he gets back in the elevator, and now we see there's only buttons to 17. He hits 17, goes up, doors open, 27th floor. <laughs> hits, door, yeah, yeah. hits the fifth floor. Doors close. Doors, lights go down to, we see we're on the fifth floor, doors open, 27th floor. <laughs> he hits lobby. Lights go down, light bings on the lobby, opens up, 27th floor. <laughs> and, and, and just a little filmmaking thing, and I don't think this is a brilliantly, you know, filmed movie. Yeah. Each time you see 27th floor on the wall, the camera is a little bit closer. Yeah. yeah. That's just a small touch. Mm-hmm. And now he's fully freaked. He walks down the hall, realizing he's trapped, goes in. Have a nice ride. In the book, yeah. Jerry gets the note. He says, yeah, I'll go to this meeting. So there's no thing with the pillow. There's no thing with oh. the lettuce. This character is just a, he's a cynical writer who's never had any success. Right. And he goes to the meeting. He goes down the elevator once. The guy says, there's no 27th floor. He goes up and he goes, yeah, I guess this is God. Mm. He doesn't go up and down three times. There's no scene in the car. He doesn't need to be convinced. He goes, okay. Don't smoke. I don't. Good. Tobacco was one of my big mistakes. Mistakes? You try. Ostriches were a mistake. Silly looking things. Avocados. Made the pit too big. Like I say, you try. This is brilliant. Creating a god that is admitting mistakes. What a novel concept. And it happens throughout the movie. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. Because uh, everyone wants to revere God as omniscient, omnipotent, all this kind of stuff. But to humanize him, because he created us, why wouldn't he be capable of a mistake? I mean, the ostrich joke is funny as hell. But why wouldn't he be you know, capable of mistakes and just own up to them? Because he's God. One to a lot of trouble to make it a comfortable interview. You misspelled it, you know. What? I- interview. Give me a break. A few things I got right. I put summer before winter, didn't I? I got some things right. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. And this is what we're going to hear throughout is the wit of Larry Gelbart. Masterfully said by George Burns. Just the timing and his voice. And the thing thing that George Burns does, he doesn't put any spin on it. Nope. He's just speaking honestly. Yeah. This is why Cassie Mel Brooks, who's hilarious, would be terrible. Mm -hmm. Because Mel Brooks would be trying to make it funny. Yeah. And it's like, no, he just says it. How come you've got such a... I mean, just a voice, like everybody's. Empathy. I'm talking to you in a way you can accept. I'm relating. I don't like to brag, but if I appeared to you just as God, 
how I really am, what I really am. Your mind couldn't grasp it. Which again is back to the burning bush. Yep. Also, one thing to think about, Steve, 1977, right? Superman mm-hmm. is next year, 1978. Think about that. We're com- recovering from Vietnam as a country, right? We want to believe in things again, but we want to believe in them in a way that we can understand them. We can accept. Um, how brilliant was it to have a God who is willing to admit mistakes, is willing to come on in a way that's very soft and understanding and you know playful, it's so smart because the God who's going to go and tell you what to do and how dare you question me and I'm omniscient. That's not the God you'd want coming out of Vietnam because everyone was questioning people in authority all throughout the seventies. So the last thing you want is a God that's domineering and pushing and uh, making you like, you know, forcing you to be his, uh, his voice on earth. So I love the way this is all played out. I think that's such a good point. And I hadn't thought about it until until you just said it, but hmm. because 77 is Star Wars. Yeah. Is that thing. we might say that 77 is like the beginning of the end of the 70s. Yeah. Great point. Because, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. because this isn't like an 80s movie in a lot of ways. Yes, and, it is. And it's such a warm, fuzzy movie compared to you know where we've just <laughs> yeah. been with Godfather and Network and all these like heavy yeah. films. And now we're sort of in the, oh, we can actually feel kind of good. Yeah. And, and this is where Jerry says what you said before is, I'm not religious. This is a mistake. I'm not one of your believers. That's why I showed up. Too many non-believers. But I, but I read in an article that religion is on the upswing. Religion is easy. I'm talking about faith. You're going to help me change that. Yeah, man. And then the next line, I don't belong to any church. Neither do I. <laughs> I'd say the biggest difference between the book and the movie yeah. is that in the book, God just wants Jerry to get, do publicity work, but that God in the book has nothing to say. Ah, this God has so much to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just give me publicity. It's I have an important message. And Jerry's like, I got to go. <laughs> you go back to work. <laughs> and God says, we'll talk on the way. <laughs> and he opens the door to go out into the hallway and he's back in the lobby. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets in his car. And as soon as he starts driving, we hear Jerry and God is talking over the radio. (laughs) He fiddles with the knobs and God says, you want me to talk louder? (laughs) Jerry's response is, oh, God, (laughs) I thought you didn't believe in me. Again, this is what's going to be so hard with this. I think the dialogue is so good that I just want to say all of it. I'm tired of all the talk that I may be dead and that I never was at all. Or that God was just particles of cosmos, gas. I'm not gas. I found that very insulting. And then, and then this is what, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but this is what we just talked about. He, Jerry says, I'm no Moses. And he says, what was Moses? You think Moses was born on page one? Moses was just a messenger. My messenger. And as he's talking to God, a motorcycle pulls up uh, next to him and, and, and he gets embarrassed because he's sitting there talking to God with the window open. And then, oh, God seamlessly goes into a disc jockey. And now an oldie but a goodie, Jerry Gray and String of Pearls. K-G-O-D. 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 <laughs> By the way, in the commentary track, Terry Gar says, oh, that, I know that actor who plays the motorcycle guy. Yeah. And they say, oh, did you date him? Oh, Jesus. It's just like that. It's just little things like that. I was like, oh, and this is, you know, they're a different generation. Yeah. It's like it's like Mad Men sort of comments. I can't take this job. I, I, I don't believe. I know, I know. But even non-believers want what they've got down here to work. Well, have you read the papers lately? It, it ain't working. That's why I came. 
to tell everybody I set the world up so it can work. Only it's up to you. Like I said, so incredibly topical in 2020. This idea, have you read the papers, the division, the anger, the frustration, that people people hate each other, people don't believe in each other, blah, blah, blah. And here comes God to say like, no, my message is you guys can make it work. You got to love more and hate less. You got to stop fighting each other and get along. And that's message could still be going. It's still powerful today. This idea. I mean, how many people do you think if God actually appeared or sent a messenger that really spoke to him and was out there saying, Hey, we got to stop fighting each other. We got to love more. We got to understand each other better. We got to create equality, create supportive systems for everybody. All of that. Do you think how many people would be like, that's not God. That's not really God. You're lying. You know, how many people would really believe? Of course, of course they wouldn't believe. What happens to all the peacemakers that uh, they all get killed? Gandhi, Martin Luther King. There's a, I I brought this up at some podcast years ago. I don't remember which one, which is the Dostoevsky's in Brothers Karamazov. There's the section that's the Grand Inquisitor. And the Grand Inquisitor is it's the middle of the Inquisition. And there's the Grand Inquisitor who's, you know, torturing people and doing horrible stuff to defend the Catholic Church. And who shows up but Jesus. He's come back. He says, I've come back to spread the word and peace and all the things that we're going to do. And he has a long conversation with the Grand Inquisitor and the Grand Inquisitor kills Jesus <laughs> because he can't have that. Right. right. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you one other thing, you know, is that I've said many times on this show that a lot of my moral core came from comic books mm. and Star Trek. Yeah. I didn't realize how much came from this movie. This is so much my philosophy. So ironic. Even though I'm an atheist. Yeah, so I'm saying it's ironic as hell, yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing. Carl Reiner describes himself as a Jewish atheist, which so am I. And and here's the thing. If there was a God, if I thought there was a God, this is how he would have to be to me, which is this message of love and compassion and and that you guys are on your own and you can make it work. Or or if you don't, you don't make it work. It's up to you free will um i love this this is a funny joke he's like that's only one message moses had to handle 10 but, but you gave him tablets he had a bad memory he had a bad memory <laughs> <laughs> that's larry gilbert man oh, brilliant and it's so funny because they're not big laughs no no they're little laughs but there are a lot of them this is why i love jewish humor steve it's it's all in the margins man it's all in the margins the the back and forth is there but the other subtle humor working in the margins is what makes it great you know but except except where, I, where just, is that mel brooks is not in the margins well true which is you why i'm I mean? not always the biggest mel brooks fan mel brooks is big yeah i mean i'm a yeah. bigger larry gobart fan than i am yeah. a mel brooks fan and we're back with Terry Gar, who's he's obviously just told her everything. She's very uh, skeptical, and she's kind of like, "Oh, maybe I'll make you some soup." I'd love it if Terry Gar was twin sisters with the other wife with uh, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> well, didn't she leave Richard Dreyfus to go visit her sister? Yeah, oh my God! Oh my God! We've created a connection. Sorry to go, Scott Vance, but we've created a connection between Oh God and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It is in the same universe. And speaking of which, he, she's kind of going, hey, let's go to San Francisco and visit your sister. And he's like, you don't want me to visit my sister. You want me to visit my sister's husband, who's a, who's a psychiatrist. Jerry, do you remember when Artie Coogan set up that hidden microphone and he broadcast those filthy limericks through the television set? It was not Artie. I know all of Artie's voices. 
and Artie is not capable of adding 10 stories to a building that doesn't have them, and he cannot talk back and forth through a car radio that's been busted for two months. Now, whoever the hell this guy is, he's very smart, and I'm going to listen to him. And she says, and you think he's God. Well, he thinks he's God. <laughs> By the way, John Denver, very natural in this movie. It's great. I mean, for a first movie, as, a, as an actor, like you're, you can find the holes, right? But I mean, having done the Muppet Show, having done his specials, he certainly was no stranger to hitting his mark, saying his lines on time, being in front of the camera. So I'm sure that helped him as kind of a shorthand to have before he walked on the set to shoot this movie. And he is damn earnest and damn natural throughout the movie. You don't feel like this is a person who is putting on a character. And I think that's really essential to you, liking both him and George Burns as their characters. He's like a perfect everyman. Yes, he, absolutely. He, he's so, and it's the opposite because they're, they're musicians and athletes and people who are become actors. Yes. But they rarely have this just totally natural quality. Yeah. Of, he's just an ordinary guy. I thought you believed in him. And her line is so brilliant. I do. I believe in God. I just don't believe that he exists. Wow. That line has so much meat to it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Because I think that sentiment, of course, I believe in God. I just don't believe he exists. I think that describes a lot of religious people, mm -hmm. you know, or people that maybe aren't religious, but they go to church or they go to temple or they do the stuff that they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. I just don't believe he actually exists. <laughs> it's the next day. And now Jerry's in the shower. Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry goes, oh, God. That's right. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to John Denver being in fantastic shape at this time. He was, he, he was, yeah. He looked good. He looked good. And he's kind of trying to wipe the steam and peek out. Come take a look. I can't. I'm naked. You think I don't know what you've got? I love the wisdom. It's so amazing. That was another little goof of mine. Shame. I don't know why I thought we needed shame. Ah, man. Mm. Strong stuff, man. He comes out, grabs his glasses, God throws him a towel, and there we see George Burns in the infinity mirror effect. And the camera like goes down and then pans up to see this old George Burns with the hat yeah. and the glasses. Not, uh, not what you expected, huh? This is, in my understanding, his, only his second feature film. Really? Because he did lots of shorts. He did tons of TV and tons okay. of radio. Yeah. But he had just done the Sunshine Boys and now this. And then Going in Style, I guess, is after this one. Isn't going in Style is next, which I love. Yeah. yeah, I love Going in Style and Sunshine Boys. Yeah. And oh, I love um, those boys. You're feeling a little strange, huh? Very strange. Like you're going to faint. And by the way, I think it's really important that they made John Denver play this scene in a towel. Yeah. Yeah. Makes him much more vulnerable. Yep. You know what's good for that? Shaving. Shaving? Sometimes when you don't feel normal, doing a normal thing makes you feel normal. So he starts shaving, and he says, okay, I think you've probably got a lot of questions. Yeah. Why me? Why not you? You mean there's no special? Life is a crapshoot. You thought I picked you because you're better than everybody? Uh, I'm not. You're better than some, but not as good as others. I think God is lying. Maybe. What does Spock say? When he says, when, they, when uh, Kim Cattrall accuses him lying. Says, I exaggerated. Uh, I exaggerated. So, yeah, yeah maybe he's exaggerating. Yeah. Because I think Jerry Landers is a really good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's very special. Mm -hmm. But I think God knows that if I said you're really good, you're really special, that it actually would not work as well. 
Why didn't you just appear over my bed? Yeah, Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) People are always, I just love all the lines. People are always praying to you. Do you listen? I can't help hearing. I don't always listen. Then you don't care. Of course I care. I care plenty. But what can I do? What what can you do? You're God. And this is so important. What can you do? You're God. One of the essential questions of faith is why does a God who is all good let bad things happen to good people? And this movie is going to answer it. Only for the big picture. I don't get into details. Then whatever happens to us happens. I gave you a world and everything in it. It's all up to you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The default human reaction is always like, why would God let this happen? Why would, why are you letting it happen? Why are we letting it happen? Why are we as countries letting it happen? That's what it's about. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. Blame what we've done, you know? But this is why this movie works for me as an atheist, because yeah. this is the philosophy. Like, stop looking over there. Yeah. This is our world. We're yeah. here. And, and and then this next line is so good. But we need help. That's why I gave you each other. Yeah. Boom. I, once again, Steve, this is what I mean. These scenes are just ripe with depth and complexity in the exchanges. They're ripe with levels here that this is working. It's not just simple, funny exchange. He's legitimately saying something here. Yeah. Uh, in, in the exchanges amongst this sweet comedy there's yeah. actually some real depth to what they're talking about no here. this is a deep this is a deep movie and a mm-hmm. deeply compassionate movie yes and then and then jerry said and then, again this is subtle writing but it's really good he says with your powers you could solve so many problems and he's cut himself shaving and he's grabbing some toilet paper and god says don't wet it and jerry says are you sure am i sure did i do a good job on the grand canyon that's a great comeback so two things about this first thing is that this is carl reiner's argument with larry gilbert larry gilbert thinks you should wet the toilet paper and carl reiner says no no don't wet it (laughs) that's the first thing about it but the second thing about it is he just (laughs) said god just said i'm not going to solve your problems for you and he says you could solve so many problems he actually did he just solved the problem and what happened he didn't even notice it didn't even recognize it didn't Didn't even thank it. yeah no miracles huh i knew it Oh, maybe now and then just to keep my hand in. The last miracle I did was the 1969 Mets. Before that, I think you have to go back to the Red Sea. That's brilliant. The 69 um, Mets. <laughs> and there's some, I'm not, can't go through all of it. It's all funny, yeah. but, but uh, uh, like there's a joke about not creating the world in six days. I really, I thought about it for five days and created it in one, yeah. which by the way, that is a writer joke. Because that's how writers work. I think about it for five days, and then under a lot of pressure, you get that script out. But if you're so involved with us, yeah, how can you permit all the suffering that goes on in the world? How can I permit the suffering? Yeah. I don't permit the suffering. You do. Free will. All the choices are yours. Choices? What choices? You can love each other, cherish and nurture each other. You can kill each other. You know, what, uh, what can I say? Yeah. That's it. Yep. You're also turning the sky into mud. I look down, I don't believe the filth. Using rivers for toilets. Poisoning my fishes. You want a miracle? You make a fish from scratch. You can't. You think only God can make a tree? Try coming up with a mackerel. And when the last one is gone, that'll be that. 86 on the fishes. Goodbye sky, so long world. Over and out. Right. 
The climate science right there. Yep. And it's truth. It's just, it's, it's dropping yep. God bombs of truth. <laughs> God bombs. Hashtag God bombs. Hashtag God bombs. I love it. I, I thought you said we were going to make it. I said you've got to make it work. You, you, you don't care. I do care. But then do something about it. I did. I got you to carry the ball. I got no ball. How can I carry it? <laughs> and the first thing he says is, you go off and tell the newspapers, tell the press. And he goes, well, how am I going to convince them? He says, here, just show them this. And hands the business card that says, God. Simply. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, George Burns had, didn't know anything about John Denver. Hadn't heard oh. of him. Didn't know who he was. Wow. And so uh, Jerry Weintraub took him to a John Denver concert. George Burns' description was there was this little guy all alone on stage with a guitar. 5,000 people are screaming. He had ne- and this is what George Burns said. I haven't seen anything like it since Jolson. Wow. Right? What a comparison. Right? Wow. And it's just, it's so, so from different eras too. Like, he lived through Sinatra. He lived through, he lived through it all. He was born in 1896. Fair. <laughs> wow. Um, Interesting. Okay. And then we get to the newspaper office and another of these great small actors, which is George Firth, mm-hmm. who's a member of the actor studio. He's in everything oh, in yeah. this era, 70s, 80s, tons of stuff. What I didn't know, he wrote the book for two Sondheim musicals. Oh, wow. Merrily We Roll Along and Company. Huh. Company's one of my favorites. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he is so funny. And um, you know what? This, this whole thing is going long because I'm saying every single line in the movie. So I'm just going to say that his distrust of John Denver trying <laughs> to convince him that he saw God and him like sl- sliding his letter opener away and all just his line deliveries is really, really funny. Yep, yep. But in the end, he doesn't get anywhere. And now we cut back to the store where Jerry gets Paige to go to aisle 10 or something. And we go to the aisle and there's God in a raincoat. Jerry, I didn't see one word in the newspapers. Well, of course not. Why, that guy at the Times kept looking at me like I, I was some kind of a lunatic. And, and, and I felt like one. And then some ladies show up and he tries to introduce God to these regular customers. Yeah. Turns around. There's a black woman there who he yells at. <laughs> yeah wearing the, the raincoat the same raincoat god was wearing yeah. <laughs> and the ladies go away and then this asian guy comes on comes up who works uh at the store mm-hmm. and and god has now appeared in like the mirror that round mirror over the aisle and the asian guy can't see him and there's some jokes there and i looked at this guy and i'm like who is that guy mm-hmm. his name he's uncredited in the movie his name is clyde kuatsu Mm-hmm. He is in. He is one of those actors who was in Mash over yep. and over again. Yep. And Larry had hired him a whole bunch and brought him in for this. He's a really good actor. Yep. He's, he's got one lines. Yeah. Yeah. Does a great job with that one line. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny, you know. And, and there were certain shows. He was on Quincy. He was on Mash a ton. Certain shows that worked over. And it's so sad these generations of actors who were really good. Yeah. Who couldn't get work. Now we get into the car. And there's God with him in the car. I see you know a lot of things, and, and, and you've been making a lot of things happen, but, but none of it seems... Godlike? Yeah, Godlike. And what to you would be Godlike? Uh, change the weather. Ah, special effects, huh? <laughs> Brilliant. And he offers up earthquakes and hurricanes. He's like, no, no, I don't want anyone hurt. Just like a small shower. One small shower. You got it. And then it starts to rain. <laughs> Inside the car. 
Yep. By the way, this is why they picked an AMC pacer because it's got that high ceiling. Oh. So there was room to put the pipes in to make it rain inside the car. And John Denver's reaction is so great. It's like, this is amazing. You didn't even bat an eye. You, you didn't have to lift a finger. Rain's not that hot. It's unbelievable. Would you like it to rain a little hotter? No, no, this is fine. How about bigger drops? No, this is fine, fine. Would you care for a little snow? <laughs> and then it takes him a long time to figure out it's not raining outside. Right. Um, God says, it's just like Noah's Ark. Same thing without the smell. <laughs> and then he gets pulled over by a cop and has to explain the tons of water that is pouring out of the car. You know, that cop is no, as a cop from Beverly Hills cop, uh, Taggart. Oh, that man. is Taggart. Yeah. Amazing cast. Yep. Amazing cast. And so because this is clear. This is where a casting director does is that mm-hmm. clearly Diane Crittenden saw a bunch of these people and went, this one has talent. And of yep. course they come and end up being, you know, much bigger stars. Going to try a little harder to get the word out. Well, I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll give it another shot. That's my boy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> he goes back to the reporter soaking wet and pushes him much, much harder. And we cut to they're in bed and Terry Gar is reading an article about a whole bunch of religious kooks. One of whom is this Burbank Superman. Uh, supermarket manager who had conversations with God. And Terry Gar, is, whose name is Bobby, I think, is not happy about this at all. But why is he talking to you? Well, why not me? Well, why not the Pope or Billy Graham or somebody way up there? Because he doesn't care about religion. Oh, God doesn't care about religion. Huh? Well, that's what he said. Well, he sure picked a funny business to go into then, didn't he? <laughs> Real quick, uh, Bobby, for Bobby, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but Four Bobby was a song off John Denver's first album. Hmm. It's Four Baby in quotes, Four Bobby. Oh. So it was originally written for uh, a girl he dated for a year um, early in his life. Um, and then I think Peter, Paul, and Mary covered it, but hmm. they changed it because Mary had just had a child. So she wrote it in honor of her child. Hmm. So, but yeah, so it's interesting. If, if I wonder if Denver was like, had a little say in naming her Bobby as a Maybe. kind of a shout out. I don't know. I don't know. And we kind of get at the end, I believe that you believe. And this is the difference between the Terry Gar in this movie and the Terry Gar in Close Encounters. Yeah. She's willing to, she loves him and, and believes that he believes in this. One thing that has happened is that the phone has started ringing and Terry, in order to protect her husband, has taken the phone off the hook and put it in a drawer. Yeah. And in the midst, Jerry kind of going, man, why is the phone ringing? We see George Burns' hand take the phone receiver out of the drawer and put it back on the hook. It rings and it's for him. And he's now giving a story to the news. Now he's on the front page and the reporters on the lawn from the 11 o'clock news. Right. And they're hounded, and he's trying to take the kids to school. And this is where the pressure is starting. He's at work, and they say, You got to go see the big boss. And he goes to a meeting, and who is his boss? But William Daniels. Yeah, William Daniels, who we just talked about in 1776. Yes. One of the great character actors. And this, frankly, is way more how I'm used to seeing him. <laughs> yes, kind of jerk. rather than being the star of a movie. Um, and again, a great, great actor. And I love that he kind of starts off with sort of, you know, how is, how is it going? How's the wife and kids? Right. And then we finally get to... What is this uh, seeing God crap all about? <laughs> and he does sort of a... I've heard it all in this chair. He gives a list of all the crazy things that happen when you manage grocery stores. And then we get to this thing. And I think this is so brilliant. 
He says, the founder and principal stockholder of Food World is a man devoted to prayer. And we see him standing next to the painting of the guy. Lowell Wilson has personally gotten down on his knees with three U.S. presidents. He attended prayer breakfasts and asked for God's blessing with the Joint Chiefs of Staff right in the war room of the Pentagon. Now, I don't think that Mr. Wilson is going to take too kindly to the idea that one of his employees is claiming to have had a personal audience with the Almighty himself. <laughs> I love this so much because it's all about status. Yeah. It's like, well, he's an important person. Just like the thing about the Pope and, and Billy Graham. Yeah. It's like, well, these are the important. He must be closer to God <laughs> because, because he's some rich yeah. guy. He's, yeah. And, well, and the hypocrisy of praying in the war room of the <laughs> Pentagon. You can't fight in here. It's the war room. It's the war room. <laughs> I should think that he would be very happy to know that his prayers are heard. Mr. Wilson has reached that point in his life where he can be sure his prayers are heard. He doesn't need any help from you. And then he threatens his job. Yep. And Jerry's out of that meeting, walking through a park, and there is God picking up trash. Again, what's the message here? Yeah. The, all these social, all these, uh, not social, obviously all these messages about... Uh, taking care of the planet, taking care of ourselves all throughout this movie. It started, huh? You said you saw me and the pressure started. Is, is, is it going to get any worse? How should I know? What do you mean, how should you know? How could I know? Well, you know everything. I only know what is. Also, I'm very big on what was. On what isn't yet, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Yeah, I got to stop reading all these lines, because they're, but they're also good. Yeah, they are. You know, I'm, I'm liable to lose my job. Lose a job, save a world. Not a bad deal. What's so funny about this is it really fits in with the heroic. This, this is the movie about the, the guy who leads the strike. Yeah. This is the movie about the people standing up against oppression in all sorts of different ways yeah, and the sacrifices, yeah. the family and that they have to make financially and being attacked and saying, no, this is the right thing to do. And so yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's, it's Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's, yeah. you know, great point. Yeah. And yet it's done in this sort of small, fun, cute way. Yeah. He tries to pick his kids up at school. His kids don't want anything to do with him. And he's back home and Terry Carr's like, well, of course they're embarrassed. I mean, their friends insulted them all day. Jerry, what are you going to do about Mr. Summers? Mr. Summers represents food world. God is with world world. It's a slightly bigger obligation. And what's interesting is he is transformed at this point. Yep. He's fully on board now. How far do you intend to take this? I mean, how long is this going to go on? Until everyone gets the message. Until I can convince people of this miracle. I mean, that's what it is, you know. It's a miracle. Nothing less. And I've got to reach the greatest number of people possible and tell them about it. It's for you. Producer of the Dinosaur Show. Do you remember watching the Dinosaur Show? Oh, of course. Yeah. My mom yeah, loved too. that show. Are you kidding? Yeah. She's a great interviewer. Oh, yeah. But Very she, relaxed. Relaxed. Subtle. Yeah. And we cut to the Dinosaur Show. And who is her guest? <laughs> Carl Reiner. And he is... You can tell he's done a lot of interviews. Oh, yeah. He's very funny. The picture of the Dorian Gray moment is just, just, <laughs> just absolutely funny stuff, man. What's, what's so funny about that is I can totally see Dick Van Dyke in the Dick Van Dyke show doing the, and, I, and what I can see is that Carl Reiner did the physical face thing for Dick Van Dyke. That's, that's what he's imitating when he did that stuff. 
Yep. And Jerry is in the in the green room and it's time for him to come on. And I love the way they, there's a great film of choice, which is just as he goes on the stage, we cut to his house, him coming through the door and says, am I on? And we cut to him and his family watching the show. Yeah. Yeah. Here's why this is a brilliant screenwriting and directing choice. What we would normally think is we'd see him do the show. And then we would later see him, the family reacting to the show, and that takes twice as much time. Right. So this way, we get to see the show and the reaction at the same time, and, it, and the scene becomes way more interesting because we get to see the family reacting that. Also, you throw in that exchange where the uh, production assistant tells him it'll be a week later when it screens. Oh, right. So it's right. been a week since yeah. he's been on the show. Yeah. And there's some very cute jokes, including you know him saying that God is watching, and Dinosaur is like, he's watching... Us? Oh. Uh. <laughs> and uh, and then they say, hey, there's an experiment we have, and do you want to participate? We've got a police department sketch artist, and he can draw from your description. And he goes, okay. And he goes and sits down, and there's a very slow description. And what's so great about it is as he describes God, all the reactions to, well, he's like 5'7", mm. wearing a baseball cap, <laughs> thin lips, he wears glasses. God wears glasses? And then the artist shows the drawing to John Denver, who goes, yeah, that's kind of how he looks. And they shows it to Dinah Shore. America, here it is, as seen through the eyes of Jerry Landers, God. There's George Burns. Mm -hmm. He's out of mechanics. His car is broken down. He goes, well, how am I supposed to get home? Where to, mister? And there's God driving a cab. (laughs) And he gets in. God puts the meter down. I think that's very <laughs> important. And Jerry's first said, I hope you got a license. And God points to his license, which says, God. Yeah. And the simple. license number, one. <laughs> I got your national exposure. I hope you're happy. I could be happier. How? For starters, you do a show like that, you don't let them put you on the last few minutes. That's for fellas who write diet books. That's got to be a shut. Right. These are the people who've been on variety shows and they understand. And it's really important status wise where you are in the lineup of a show uh, and the time of the show. Right. Uh, That matters, too. And what was that drawing thing? Well, he was a police artist. Man draws crooks. Makes everybody look like a crook. Make me look like a second story, man. I don't know what that means. A second story, man. You don't? Oh, the second story of the thing. Oh, gotcha. gotcha, A second story man is a crook that climbs up to second stories to break into buildings. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I'm used to a little better treatment. That painting of me by Michelangelo, that's a picture. He did it laying flat on his back. (laughs) He did it on his back. A few million people saw you last night, right? A few million? Some of them will believe you. Some are going to want to punch him in the head. Some will want to fire me. Some may decide I'm too crazy to live with. Like, he's worried about his marriage right now. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm sure when Moses showed up and was like, hey, a, t- a burning bush just spoke to me. I got to go lead the people. I'm sure his wife was like, what? You know, I'm sure there was well, a little bit of transition if, time. If I mer- if I know the story correctly, Moses was out of Egypt. Yeah, he's right. Somewhere else. He had yes, gotten he married and, yeah. and was settled. And now he's Before. like, I'm going to go back yeah. where all my people are enslaved and try to save them. That's not a good plan. Nope. And now we pull up to his house and there is craziness on his lawn. We got (laughs) Hare Krishnas. We got religious zealots. We have people asking him to bless their babies, their pregnant belly with a woman who clearly wants to have sex with him. (laughs) I went to empty the garbage and two people blessed me. And then one of them blessed the garbage. And then he asked me if our children were conceived immaculately. And he says, don't let it get to you. 
And this is perfect, Terry Gar. Only Terry Gar can deliver a line like this. Don't let it get to me. Don't let it get to me. Jerry, it's got to me. <laughs> and there's a bunch of telegrams, and one of the telegrams is from a religious university that has asked him to appear before a theology group to verify the miracle. Yeah. And we continue to hear them talk as we cut to this scene of this religious group. Th this will give me credibility and God will get his word across. And now we're in this meeting <laughs> where the cast, again, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there's the rabbi is the first person to talk. This is a guy named Jeff Corey, who is, was in everything. Yeah. Like every 60s, 70s TV show this guy was in, including an episode of Star Trek, the original series. Ah. He is the, the leader of the Cloud City and the Cloud Miners. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jeff Corey was also blacklisted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Landers, it is the consensus of this group that you are a person of little or no theological knowledge. And then we get Paul Sorvino. <laughs> With kind of a terrible Southern accent, but you get the point that he's getting across, the, the, the idea of televangelism. Uh, and even in 77, Steve, people are taking shots at what these people are doing and uh, abusing older people to get their money from them, using God to line their pockets, to build their jets, to build their massive uh, buildings, uh, but really perverting the word of God for their own personal financial benefit. And again, this is an amazing piece of casting because yes. this is the Italian American from New York, I think, opera yeah. singer. Yeah. That you say, we want you to play the Southern televangelist guy. Right. And apparently Paul went to Carl Reiner and said he had listened to a bunch of radio shows with, you know, religious guys like these. Right. And he said, I've got four of them for you to choose from. And he did four different voices and four different accents. And this is the one that Carl Reiner picked. Wow. And, and his character is so ridiculous. <laughs> it strikes me, as one who has actually heard his voice, that you have virtually no prerequisites to make direct contact with the Almighty whatsoever. And then Jerry just simply asks him questions. You heard him? You spoke to him? Yeah. What was he wearing? <laughs> yeah. It's just simple questions. He has made his word known to me. W what was he wearing? He improvised a lot, by the way. A lot of this is actually Paul Sorvino stuff. Really? Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Including the big speech, that's all Paul Sorvino. Wow. Yeah. Because he stands, um, but he gets upset. He gets upset. You know, he gets mad. Yeah. What did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees got mad yeah. when Jesus showed up, right? The Pharisees were upset because they're the ones cloaked in their money and their, you know, adulation. They're the ones that God should be talking to, not a simple person like you, well, a non-believer. Well, remember, he's supposed to talk to the Pope or Billy Graham, or we yeah. have his the big boss who's like, he's dealt with presidents of the United States. Yeah. That's who God, why would God appear to you? Right, exactly. It would be blasphemy to suggest that we could describe the creator in human terms. Why? Why, if he created us, why wouldn't he appear to us as one of us? And man, he loses it. Yeah, he does. Who are you to tell? Don't you sit. And he brings it under control. Don't you, young man try to teach this assemblage the role of the deity. And sitting next to him at the table is Donald Pleasance. Yeah, <laughs> so random, Donald Pleasance, so, in this small role. He literally has one line in the whole movie. Yeah. It has good billing, and the reason is, is there was a seven-page scene with him and Jerry that they cut. Oh, damn. And Carl said, 
that it didn't work, it was not necessary, didn't advance the story, and that it is the one time that he did not personally call an actor to tell them they had been cut out of a movie because he was so embarrassed because he had asked Donald Pleasance yeah. to do this role and they never spoke again. Oh shit! <laughs> it's just and, and Carl and you know I just, Carl Reiner is one of those really nice directors that yeah, everybody yeah. loves, and it sounds like he just has felt terrible from this the yeah. whole time. Um, and I love, by the way, Paul Servino, who goes around to talk about the eminence of this panel that they have, have put together, and he says, "Rabbi Silverstone, my good and great friend, brother in the work of the Lord, with whom we have broke bread many times, is a pillar of the American Jew community." And all the little looks that go around. Yeah, because they know how much of a sham artist this guy is. Oh, yeah. To put up with him. Yeah. The rabbi takes that beat before he turns to Jerry and speaks to him. Uh, (laughs) And then he says, we have every religious persuasion. And I personally have been chosen to render the benediction at this year's Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. (laughs) That means I matter. Because, again, it's about, for him, it's about status. Everything's about right. status. Right. Literally, it says in the Bible that it's not about status. But <laughs> people grab this thing, and they assume it's about status. It's mind-blowing to me. It, it, I, I think the, the you know, we can point out hypocrisy oh, yeah. anywhere True. in all sorts of uh, realms, but the hypocrisy uh, in religion is really stunning. It's astounding, yes. Yeah. I agree. Um, which is why, of course, you know, the Terry Gar saying he picked the wrong business to get into, and God <laughs> saying, I'm not in the religion business. Right. Mr. Landers, we really find insufficient documentation to support your claim. Which puts the score at God seven, you zip. And what we find out is that they've created a set of questions to ask God, and they're ones that he couldn't possibly answer. Right with his uh because he doesn't have the knowledge and that they're going to lock him in a hotel room and he can't leave he can't see his wife he can't do anything until he answers these questions that is the test yeah and we're in the hotel room he's looking at the paper it's not in english he calls out god hoping the guy would show up he turns on the radio no good there's a knock on the door he opens it it is a room service guy bringing him some room service um (laughs) this guy has also been in tons of stuff yeah do you see what room he's in no one 2700. <laughs> Perfect. And he closes the door and immediately there's another knock and right. there's George Burns. They forgot the catch up. $11 for a steak? Who would have thought? With me, cows are an afterthought. Just to give new mothers a little rest, you know. <laughs> and he looks at the questions. He says, pretty cute. The questions are in ancient Aramaic. Which takes interesting resonance now considering... Um, the Passion of the Christ that Gibson directed mm. is in all Aramaic. Yeah. So I, I, I would have never registered that until he did that movie. So interesting. It is, it is one of the three languages the Bible is written in. Yeah. yeah. Along with Hebrew and Greek. Not English. Not English, people. No. Or Latin. Or Latin. And or so, yeah. or Klingon. <laughs> Although I'm sure there's a Klingon translation. Of course there is. <laughs> Let's see. What's the true origin of the universe? What is the source of the planet Earth? It's 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 a history find, all right? <laughs> and, and the TV is playing in the background, and God says so many repeats and turns it off. Did you see what's playing on the TV? Jack LaLanne. No, it's the is Dick it? Van Dyke. It's the Dick Van Dyke oh! show. <laughs> what a great in joke! Now we get this section of answering questions, and this is where okay. So I probably said this on the Cinephiles before, but yeah. frequently with my students, is someone says like, "Oh, I'm going to write." 
an evil scientist, or I'm going to write a great political speech, or I'm going to write a religious figure, or I'm going to write a really wise thing. And then they you frequently fall short. And what I tell them is like, look, when you determine to do something like that, you actually have to be capable of delivering a great political speech. Right. You have to come up with an interesting plan to take over the world. You have to come up with a way to rob the bank or to murder someone or whatever smart thing that you want to do. Yeah. Well, now you have to deliver on it. So right. this scene of the questions is in the book, but they never go into the answers. Ah. The answers are the hard part. So now we've said we've, we're going to ask God deep, important, profound questions. Well, it's up to Larry Gelbart to give us deep, profound answers. Yeah. He so delivers. Yeah, I agree. Did man fall from grace in the Garden of Eden? I made Adam 17. Eve was 15, 16 tops. I figured then 16, 17 was middle age, you know. Now I realize that they were kids, babies. Young people can't fall from my grace. They're my best things. Put that down. Boom. That's great. Yeah. And again, this is my philosophy is that kid, kids are kids, yeah. you know, and we see, you know, they, they're not born hating. They're not born doing all these things. That's all stuff we do to them later on. Yeah. Kids are my best things. Yeah. By the way, they always shot, Carl always shot George Burns with two cameras because he was concerned. This is an old guy that he wouldn't get his lines. Right. George Burns never missed a line. <laughs> I don't know. Never. He was spot on. George yeah. Burns was also a five martini a day guy. Smoked cigars all day and apparently frequently was up nights partying, flirting with all the women, <laughs> just came in every day and nailed it. And part of this is like this guy is 70 plus years in the business. Some guys are just built to do it, man. Yeah. Sinatra the same way. Sinatra survived on four to five hours of sleep every night. That's it. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, had his own radio show, his own TV mm-hmm. show. George Burns, by the way, have you ever watched the Burns and Allen TV show? Oh, hell yeah, man. So good. Again, yeah, yeah. And what, what the thing that he invented, he and Jack Benny did similar kinds of things, is that George Burns would come out and talk to the audience and then walk into scenes in his life and then describe what was happening. And so it's this total breaking the fourth wall yeah. thing in his TV shows, which later you see in like, this is Gary Shandling's show yeah. and a bunch of other shows. Next question. Which religion is closest to divine truth? He says, the divine truth is not in a building or a book or a story. The heart is the temple in which all truth resides. Boom. Yeah. Is Jesus Christ the son of God? And there's pause. And he walks and he turns. And, it, and after the pause, in a real silence, he says, Jesus was my son. And there's a reaction in a moment of like, oh, wow, God just picked. He picked the religion. And then he says, Buddha was my son. Muhammad, Moses, you, the man who said there was no room in the inn was my son. And so is the one who charges $11 for steak in this one. Let's, let's mush on. <laughs> it's a brilliant, brilliant response, man. That is so much what I think about religion. Because So I'm an atheist, mm-hmm. but I've thought a lot about God and if there is a God. And if there is a God, it is, I am 100% convinced that it cannot be that one religion is the truth. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I agree. Uh, Because it doesn't make sense for these people to one part believe passionately in this thing and another group believe just as passionately in this thing. And that one of them is 100 percent wrong and one of them is 100 percent right. Multiple people can make great stakes. Multiple studios can make great movies. Right. So multiple religions can still respect and revere God. And so it's just like 
It's all your version of it and what works for you and your culture. Well, and I have a whole theory, which maybe, maybe we'll do a short on this sometime, mm. but I have a whole theory, you know, we talk, talk a lot of, well, you can't disprove the existence of God, which is true. Mm. Um, I have a whole theory about how I can actually prove that what most of the people believe in is not true and I mm. can prove it. Okay. And I also think what's interesting about this thing, and again, maybe this will be a short, is that it actually is really about how powerful and beneficial faith is. Yeah. Even as a person who has none. Is that, and so maybe we'll talk about it another time. Well, you don't have religious faith, but you have faith. You have faith in people. You have faith in yourself. Yes. You have faith in things. Yeah. Sure. So not yeah. religious faith. Yeah. Again, this is like a, we, we, we literally, we could talk an hour on this. Oh yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to do it now, but, but, but I think part of my philosophy came from that sentence. Jesus <laughs> was my son. Buddha yeah. was my son. Mohammed, Moses. Yeah is that of course we're all, if there's a God, of course we're all God's children. Mm -hmm. And if he's a loving God, of course he loves all of us. Yeah. And then we ask, what is the meaning of man's existence? <laughs> First he says, life is like a glass of tea. <laughs> no, I better not go for laughs. <laughs> again, just to point it out again, George Burns is so straight, mm -hmm. just says the truth. Yeah. He's not trying to put anything on any of this. But seriously, put down that man and women persons. Their existence means exactly and precisely. Not more, not one tiny bit less. Just what they think it means and what I think doesn't count at all. Amazing. An amazing statement from God. Which is why I'm glad I didn't watch the commentary. Great writing, Larry Gellibert. Stop making creepy comments about Terry Gar. You just put this great moment in, and then you're like, here you are doing exactly... Yeah. It, it was more, I think it was slightly more Carl Reiner, but not much. Okay. All right. Yeah. Either um, way, if there's even one, it's too much. I mean, you know, uh, we've had this conversation a million times. Yeah. People, people are affected by the world they grew up in and that's where they were. So on some levels, Larry Gilbert, I mean, like if you look at early, actually, we sh I should say this. So early MASH, yeah. which is all Larry Gilbert is so sexist. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what's so interesting towards to me is, lips. Yeah. yeah. Hawkeye is a, not just towards hot lips. Every single nurse Hawkeye oh, is right, constantly sure. coming on to. It is constant sexual harassment at the workplace. And what's so interesting is Alan Alda and Hawkeye are liberal icons. Yeah. And, yeah. and true sex symbols of that era. And yet it is just terrible, the stuff that he does. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting is like comparing it in a weird way to Mad Men is that uh, Don Draper, total sexist, does horrible things. And yet... That character is a sex symbol, and John Hamm certainly a sex symbol. Yeah. And what, what's interesting about Mad Men is Mad Men is a thing made recently that is pointing out, look how horrible this is. Right. MASH is just doing it. I'm curious to see as we move forward if that changes, you know. More women speak uh, are speaking out. We had Kay on, and I, don't, we, I guess we haven't dropped the episode yet, but no. in, in Major League, Kay says, like, when you're young, it's weird the world you grew up in, I grew up in as a woman, and the things I was told or made to believe about women and how they had to be around men. Yep. And, and like now I'm seeing that that was never the truth. And I hope this new generation of women growing up never have to, you know, look at it that way again. And so I'm curious to see what the new sex symbols, what the new uh, man is that is, that does become this, you know, kind of. Uh, thing that people revere or love amongst women and men um, and what that might look like. You know, I, I think John Hamm was the last of them. I do. Don we'll, Draper. We'll, 
we'll see. We, yeah, we, we'll we've see. certainly seen so much stuff. I, I'm sure you, you read lots of the same stuff that I do mm. of people telling their stories of this happened to me or in writer's yeah. room or this happened yeah. to me in this situation. And there were all these people sitting around who didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. And that'll be the interesting one. Is it instant sort of, hey, that's not cool. You can't say that. You know, yeah. or do yeah. we let it slide? Because I listened to Terry Gar's voice and it, yeah. they were being horrible. No, but they but, were being like, uh, they were objectifying her throughout this thing. Well, it, it must be terrible too, because you're like, I want to be taken as seriously as you take yourselves, as you take each other. And you, you keep denigrating me. I don't talk about your dicks. I don't talk about your asses. I don't talk about your balls. I don't talk about anything physical about you guys. You know, do well, me it, the same, give me the same respect. I created a character. I, I spoke your words truthfully through a whole film to help the film do well and be accepted as yeah. a good film. So do me the favor of respecting me as an artist and not ogling me as a woman. Well, and, and what I could hear in her voice, and of course I'm just making this up. I don't know that this is what she was feeling, but what I felt like I was hearing was I'm still dealing with this. Yes, of course. You know, and, and I mean, this is a woman who has MS as if she needs to deal with this uh, fucking shit more, you know, it's a well, this was probably recorded 20 years ago. So, Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Um, still. Uh, now we get our last question. Why did you appear at this time? And God's like, well, you already said it. He's like, well, maybe you want to, they want to hear it in your words. I want to say to everyone that everything around them, that they can see and smell and feel and hear, they should delight in all this. That what is here are some of my very best ideas. And I want everyone to try very hard to make sure it doesn't all go down the drain. Yeah. The, the words yep. stand for themselves for me. Yep. Can you remember exactly what you said? I mean, it was perfect. <laughs> God just gives him a look and starts writing in John Denver's handwriting. Yep. And okay, we got it all. It's like, should I call the panel? It's like, never mind the panel. Deliver the pa uh, papers to Reverend Williams, which is Paul Servino. Every time I turn around, he's spreading the word. My word. Only my words you ran out of years ago. I'll tell you the truth. The reason I put everybody here naked, I wasn't trying to be cute. I just didn't want to create clothes. With clothes, there's right away pockets. With pockets, you got to put something in them, right? Materialism. Yeah, just a straight dig at materialism, and particularly materialism within religion. And he says, you take these answers and give them to Reverend Big Mouth, and you say that God says he's a phony. And also tell him if he wants to get rich, fine. Tell him to sell earth shoes. But personally tell him, I'd like him to shut up. I like what he said there. But personally tell him, I'd like him to shut up. Straight <laughs> sure. up. We're at the Shrine Auditorium. The Shrine holds like four or 5,000 people. They had 200 extras. <laughs> this is a $2.2 million movie. It's not, they don't have a bunch of money. Um, and they just move the extras around, you know, for every shot. As we heard, like when we did Hoosiers, when we did all sorts yeah, of yeah. movies. That's Rocky. What you gotta do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his speech is mostly, as I said, created by him. It's really funny. I it will is. play a little bit of it. <laughs> love. Let's talk about love. What is it? You can love your brother, can't you? You can love your wife or your husband. You can love your new dress. You can love my new car. <laughs> um, and he gets the crowd going, and then he gets to this word. He says, What I am talking about is the kind of love that calls for a sacrifice. Are you willing to make a sacrifice to show God how much you love him? Yes! And then the collection plates go around. Yeah. And the money starts pouring out. Yeah. And this is, it's, it's still going on. I do not understand it. Like the idea that you give a ton of money 
to prove that you love God to a person who's going to fly around in a plane in a private jet and drive a Rolls Royce. That is crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're a capitalist society. We equate worth with materialism. Uh, that's the shame. Yeah. I get I mean, I, we do. No, no, you're right. No, you, yeah. you're right. I just don't get the connection between yeah. I'm going to give my money to this other person, not to do good, although maybe they do some, I'm sure some of them do some good at some point, yeah. Yeah. but so they can get rich. Right. You know, right. and that, and that, and, but they make it sound like you're giving money to God. God right. doesn't need the money. Right. Yeah. Um, and he asked people to come up and we see people coming up with crutches and people coming up to shake his hand. And that's when Jerry comes up, who's watched this whole thing in distress. Yeah. And he comes up and, and uh, Paul Sorvino sees him and says, one moment. Would you repeat what you just said to me? God, <clears throat> God sent me to you. God sent him to me. And he hands over the answers, which, by the way, we never see those answers again. Yeah. I really want all that panel to read the answers, you know, that he gave to all these questions in Aramaic. But that never comes up again, which is kind of a bummer. Yes, he, he's, he's unhappy that, that you're, that you're get, getting rich this way and, and, and that he'd like you to stop pretending that, that, that you're spreading his word. And Jerry tries to take the mic. And as soon as Reverend Williams realizes what he's doing, he's trying to get rid of him and get the mic back. And you see the panic in his face. And I think this struggle is really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. He's like frantic. He becomes frantic. Well, that's what he said. You're a friend. This poor boy is ill. Get him out of here. And they struggle. It's a scary, scary moment. And then we cut to court. Slander, Your Honor. Slander, surely cruel and foul. And again, this is sort of like Mr. Smith. This is like Miracle on 34th Street. We're going to meet John Doe, too. Remember John Doe Doe? tries to expose the corruption and they drag him away and turn him into a crazy person. And we see the judge, who is Bernard Hughes. Again, a fantastic actor. You've seen in all sorts of stuff. And who is the lawyer but Ralph Bellamy? That's right. Another great actor. (laughs) It's just like the cast is ridiculous how good it is. Oh, and by the way, Ralph Bellamy is also a president of the Screen Actors Guild. Ah, so he and William Daniels, two, and again, we have a movie with two presidents of the Screen mm-hmm. Actors Guild. Um, and, and Ralph said he didn't want to do it. He was retired. He didn't want to act. He didn't want to do the job. And what? Carl Reiner said, yeah, even though five years later, it's trading yeah, places. It's trading places. And Carl Reiner goes to him, you want to know what the pitch was? He says, he says, don't think of it as a job. Think of it as a time where you can sit all afternoon in a trailer with George Burns. Oh, 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 and Bellamy well, goes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, he's been around doing it the same time George Burns was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and who wouldn't want to sit in a trailer with drinking martinis and smoking cigars with George Burns? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only is Willie Williams organization nonprofit, he personally pays over six figures at income tax every year. <laughs> so <laughs> that sentence is amazing because he's like, going, look, he's, he works for charities a nonprofit. And he, by the way, pays over $100,000 in income tax every year, which means that he's making some ungodly amount of money. Right. And, and just a little small touch is what does Paul Sorvino do at that moment? He covers up all his gold rings yep. and hides them. That's the guilt, the shame. Um, this is why he created shame. Yeah, this is, yes, this is why he created shame. A man whom the president of the United States once called God's own quarterback. <laughs> And now it's Jerry's turn. And the judge says, look, you really should get a lawyer. You shouldn't defend yourself. It's not good. You, you don't want to be alone for this. And Jerry says, I won't be alone. 
And Terry's Terry Gar's there and her looks of, oh my God. I mean, like, it's so interesting the close encounters contrast because yeah. she doesn't believe this. No, no, no. But she's standing by him in the courtroom. Yep. She knows this is going to be terrible, and she, but she's going to be here. She loves him. Because she, she loves him. I just can't believe that God would set me up to get me into all of this trouble. I, I, I have to believe that he had a reason, and, and I have to believe that he'll bail me out. You know what that is? Faith. Faith. Yep. That's faith. Yep. <laughs> we see Donald Pleasance at the trial. <laughs> <laughs> And the absolute being, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-merciful, infinite spirit, the supreme soul, the king of kings and lord of lords, the infinite, everlasting, eternal being, last came to you how? As a busboy. <laughs> and the whole courtroom laughs, including the actor, the, the extra sitting behind Terry Garr, which is Carl Gottlieb. Yeah. The writer for, yeah. Right. For Jaws, who yep. also appears in The Jerk in two years because he's a buddy of Carl Reiner. Do you remember who he plays in The Jerk? No, I've only seen The Jerk once. Not one of my favorites. So um, what is he playing? Iron Balls McGinty. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so he's just there in the background as an extra. <laughs> Everyone laughs. Ralph Bellamy rests his case. And this is the last one I'm going to say. What they said as uh, in the commentary track here is that, see how we frame that shot so we could see your legs. Ugh, yeah. That's the last one I'm going to say. Okay. Just, it just gr- made me grumpy. And I yeah. love Carl Reiner. And course, I love Larry Gelbart. They're both great, but it just made me grumpy. Uh, I would like to call one witness and, and one witness only. Your Honor, I would like to call to the stand the Lord God. And there's reaction. Ralph Bellamy objects. And the judge is upset, and he's and Jerry says, when I asked God to take the stand, wasn't there a trace of expectation in your mind? Wasn't there hesitation in this room? It, it was the possibility that, that God does exist. In, in, in that moment, Your Honor, when no one in this room knew, knew what was going to happen next, in that flash of an instant lies the benefit of the doubt that, that, that you must give me to know that my, my story is true and that I spoke exactly as God asked me. I don't think that's a terribly good argument. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's uh, I mean it's the only argument he has yeah the only but what argument I, it has what I do think is man John Denver's a really good actor yep because he, do, because he doesn't make a great speech mm-hmm. he's still the assistant manager who's 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 a really good man and he's doing yeah. the best he can and he does a really passionate speech it's an earnest speech earnest yeah. that's the word it's earnest Mr. Landers I cautioned you earlier that Proper legal representation would be helpful. I must now warn you that, in addition to the plaintiff's charges, I'm seriously considering <laughs> citing you with contempt. Now, you're getting deeper and deeper into trouble with this court, Mr. Landers. Excuse me, Your Honor. And there is God. Yep. He says, I'll take it from here. <laughs> I love that. I'll take it from here. I love it. <laughs> and, and the judge says, may I ask who you are? And he says, you better swear me in. You'll never believe it. <laughs> and he walks up. We hear his squeaky shoes as he walks. We see the court reporter put a tape recorder up and hit record on it. I don't know why he wasn't recording this before. <laughs> and the, the the clerk says, you sort of tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And God says, so help me me. So help you you. If it pleases the court, and even if it doesn't please the court, I'm God, Your Honor. <laughs> Ralph Bellamy stands up. I'd like permission to question this witness. 
Sit down, Sonny. I've answered enough questions. Why is it so hard for you to believe it? Is my physical existence any more improbable than your own? It's a great line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, these are, these are great lines about God. Just great. And then he goes into a thing, which is maybe one of the few things I don't like, which is he mm. talks about the film The Exorcist. And that, and, oh. and the reason, and it's good, but it's, it's like, it sets the movie so much in a time. It's like a pop culture reference. And what, yeah. what his point is, is you guys could all believe that a devil would take over a little girl, mm. but you have trouble believing me. All she had to do was, was wet the rug and throw up some pea soup and everyone believed. I work in my own way. I don't, I don't get inside little children. They got enough to do just being themselves. Him saying they have enough to do just being themselves is a little droplet of wisdom. Yep. We're not putting a lot on it. It's a little thing where you can go back and think about it. And this is why I'm not saying the movie, Oh God, is a religious text. But I am saying that there's maybe 50 lines in here that are worth spending some time contemplating. Absolutely. I'm not sure how this whole miracle business started. The idea that anything connected with me has to be a miracle. Personally, I'm sorry that it did. Makes the distance between us even greater. I think that's a really interesting line, too. Yeah. You know, again, I'm an atheist. But this God is very human. Yeah. And, and he humanizes Moses and humanizes Jesus and Buddha. And then he humanizes himself. Because he makes mistakes. Because he doesn't see the future. Because he can't control everything. And that's part of his wisdom. I find this such an interesting strain. I hope I can speak on it correctly. And, and please feel free to correct me, uh, Steve. Uh, but like, there are two strains, two powerful strains in the Jewish community when it comes to God, right? There's the orthodox, fully reverential uh, uh, approach to God. That is, you know, everything he's done, everything he says, everything is, is like scripture. It's the word. It's powerful. But then there's the, a lot of Jewish humor when it deals with God is about breaking down that kind of approach to God that that um, idea that he is untouchable, you can't question his word, you can't. And a majority of the time, look at Albert Brooks defending your life. It's it's that's that's purgatory, but it's played for laughs. Uh, oh God, it's sweet. It's but there are laugh moments throughout with what the stuff he's saying. This idea that this is the kind of God that is more. The more the more God that seems realistic, at least to me, seems more real, more realistic, more more. Um, truthful right the god that's like untouchable all-knowing omniscient and you can't possibly question him that's not a god that created us i don't think so i think the god that created us understands us can speak to us has probably made mistakes because he made us in his image and we've been able to create incredible things in this world but we've also made mistakes we've also created weapons that can destroy ourselves or destroy each other so if we're in his image then we have to reflect the creator. So the creator is capable of mistakes. He's capable of making jokes. He's capable of admitting it, those things. He's capable of great things and possibly destructive things. So all around, you know, um, that's, that feels connected to me. First of all, I'm not correcting you at all. I actually think you said that really well hmm. about the orthodoxy versus more secular reformed or conservative Jews. Is an, and I think, and I think in some ways this fits with a lot of religions of, of, is it that everything in this book is perfect and correct, and therefore we must follow all of it? Yeah. Which of course, nobody does. Nobody right. follows all of it. Right. Nobody's stoning people for wearing, you know, two kinds of fabrics <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But like the orthodoxy is like the whole point is God has asked us 
to follow these rules, keeping kosher being one of the most obvious, right. and that we must follow them exactly because they are rules and God is infallible and therefore his rules are infallible, therefore we must do them. And the reason to do them is because God asked us to. We don't need any other reason. Right. And then there's other people who are more questioning of that. And, yeah. and I think this obviously is out of this tradition of secular and reformed Jews yep. who are very, very big questioners. But if a miracle helps you believe that I am who I say I am, I'll give you one. Let me see. What's my most impressive miracle? And I don't know if you noticed, you know what John Denver does at this moment? No. He looks up. Because oh. he thinks it's about to rain inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. And instead, God says, Pick a card. Uh, what? There are no cards. Pick a card. Any card. And then he does the gesture of spreading out the cards. Pick a card, any card. Well, there are no cards there. Look again. Cards appear. Obviously, simple camera, in the camera trick. Oh, no. Uh, there's nothing miraculous about good sleight of hand. Have you ever seen this one? And the cards disappear. Uh, well, yes, yes. I've, I've seen them make cards appear and disappear. As a matter of fact, I once saw a magician make an elephant disappear. Good. Now I'll show you one that you haven't seen. And he stands up and we hear his shoes squeaking. He says, got to get these shoes fixed. And we hear squeak, squeak, squeak. And God says, watch this, Your Honor. And then he disappears, just gone. And we hear the shoes walking. We see the door, like Batwing door, open and close. Then we yep. see the big door open and close. And everyone turns. And watch Terry Gar in this scene, by the way. Because what you see through the course of this is her loving and supporting her husband, but not believing and you see the transformation of, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And we hear God at the door. I know how hard it is in these times to have faith, but maybe if you could have the faith to start with, maybe the times would change. You could change them. Think about it. Try. And try not to hurt each other. There's been enough of that. And it really gets in the way. I'm a God of very few words, and Jerry's already given you mine. However hopeless, helpless, Mixed up and scary it all gets. It can work. If you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it would help you to know that I believe in you. That is the line of the film for me. I actually stopped the film and I kind of broke down a little bit and cried a little bit hearing that. Because things have been so crazy in this world, man. Things have been so crazy and so far. And I've contributed to it online. Some of my... Uh, comments or tweets or some of the vitriol I've spit, spit out at people that I've found to be intolerant or mean or cruel. Um, and then you hear that because it taps into the, to why I believe in God, why I believe in uh, him, not religion, but faith in him, you know, and, and it. Um, and what he says there is just was so powerful. You know, if you can't believe in me, maybe it'll help you to know that I believe in you. And that's like, fuck, man. So even now talking about it, I get emotional because it's just like we do such a terrible job of tearing ourselves to pieces privately in our own minds, putting ourselves down, hurting ourselves, uh, devaluing ourselves, you know, um, questioning ourselves and questioning everything we do and um, questioning our worth. And if we believed in ourselves the way we envision or believe or hope that God believes in us, Think how much better all our lives would be. Think how much happier we'd be. Think how much of the mental health stuff we'd be able to avoid, you know, as people, as human beings. 
So it's just that just when he, when it struck me this time, just so powerfully, Steve, just, I just, like I said, I had to pause and just to cry a little bit. Cause it was just like, man, it's, I, I, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. I wish I believed in myself the way I would imagine God would believe in me, the way I imagined other people, uh, you hope believe in you, you know, and, or claim to believe in you or say they believe in you, you know, you just, so it's just, it's such, that to me is the line, the, the that, those two lines are the lines of the movie for me. In, in such powerful words. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I want to say two, two things about it. Cause what's funny is there's sort of different shades within that line that I th- think affect you mm. versus affect me. Um, the, for me, it's, it's that this is so much about kindness, you know, mm. so much of his message is just, just be kind to each other, be gentle with each other, cherish each other, work together. And, and I think if there's anything that we've lost in the last many years yeah. kindness is a lot tougher to find yeah and it's particular kindness towards the people you know the jesus turn the other cheek you know love thy neighbor like all those things those are really hard to do right now you yeah. know we're not good at cheek turning right now and and nope. that message of kindness and faith and faith in each other is such a big yeah. thing the other this is a weird thing to say I started way at the beginning talking about Larry Gelbart and wit is dry. Only a very witty writer could write this. Mm. Is that what one of the things that wit does? Yes, it plays with language. Yes, it's subtle and funny, but it also, and, and this is what happens throughout this movie, although it's a very funny movie. It's funny about something. Mm-hmm. It's about a philosophy. It's taking the way we look at the world and turning it. And wit yeah. frequently turns something. It makes you look at it from the opposite direction. And this line, if you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it would help to know that I believe in you. Yeah. That's a turn, you know, linguistically. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the message is profound. But then I also love the writing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just the alliteration of however hopeless, helpless, mixed up, and scary it all gets. That's just yeah. good writing. And, and, and it's the final message, Steve. Yeah. It's the final... Okay. It's the final emphasis on the message that the, uh, that Gelbart has been saying throughout the movie and the character of God, this mm-hmm. idea of believing in each other more than you believe in him, right? It, this isn't a film about believing in God. This is a film about believing in each other because he created you and put, gave you all the tools to create a good world, a loving world, a healthy world, a happy world. It's up to you to do it. And you have to believe in each other and have faith in each other to do it. Not him or not it. And I think we're about to enter into the world of faith now because the court reporter has run up and is saying something to the judge. And we cut to the, the <laughs> judge's quarters and we are listening to the audio tape the court reporter did. And we hear everyone's voice except God's. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, you. Where's... <laughs> Yeah. Which uh, he had said at the very beginning of the movie, you can't record my voice. Someone must have erased it. Nobody erases tapes anymore. <laughs> Which, of course, is the Watergate joke. Don't you see? He, he, he wants us all to decide for ourselves whether or not we saw him and, and heard him. It's what he always said. Everything is up to us. And again, I will say, this is faith. Yeah. Because faith, I don't have to have faith that my microphone is working right now because I can see the little thing moving and I have experience that has told me that when I see these things, that it's working. Having faith, faith is something you have to have when you don't have evidence. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's just knowing. Right. Um, and that's what this moment is. We have now moved into faith. 
No, no. There is no proof whatsoever that God was in that courtroom today. I love Ralph Bellamy. Really good acting. Says, no, none whatsoever. Because <laughs> he is wavering. Yeah. Um, and then this is so great. Jerry says, we saw him. We heard him. And Terry Gar says, we did. She's on board now. And it's subtle. Yeah. And, it, and he says, he made himself and the cards disappear. And Terry repeats, we saw it. And now the judge renders his decision, which is kind of two part. Part one is that on the basis of what we experienced, I totally understand why Jerry thought he met with God. And so the charge of slander is dismissed. I must also rule that on the basis of the evidence, or, uh, or rather the, um, uh, the lack of it, that as much as we all may think that what we saw here today was real, God did not, in fact, appear here before us. You uh, may, of course, appeal to a higher court. <laughs> we heard from the highest court. It's so funny because this is so Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, I thought that too, yeah. Except we don't prove the existence of Santa Claus. Right, right. You know, cut to the store and Jerry's been fired. Uh, he heads out, he's driving, and as he drives along listening to that 70s music, we hear a phone ringing. It's the phone booth. The phone is ringing. And he drives by, and he keeps hearing the ring. And he gets out, gets in the phone booth, answers it, hears God's voice, and says, where are you? God says, turn around, and there he is wearing his safari clothes <laughs> because he wants to spend some time with animals. We failed, didn't we? What are you talking? We did terrific. I gave a message of encouragement. You passed it along, now we'll see. You think anybody got the message? And God's metaphor is Johnny Appleseed. You drop a few seeds and you move on. If the seeds are good, they'll take root. I gave you great seeds, the best. Everybody thinks I'm a nut. Galileo, Pasteur, Einstein, Columbus, you're in good company. What's interesting about that list, none of those are religious figures. <laughs> yeah, true, very true. Very true. Galileo, in particular, was persecuted by the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit of a shot at the Catholicism. Better be going. Uh, aren't you coming back? No. Ever? Whenever comes, we'll see. Even this is sort of gentle. Yeah. And what's so, again, tracking Jerry's character, he's not a religious person when we meet him. He has no faith. He doesn't believe in God. No. And right. now he says... Now and then... Couldn't we just talk? I'll tell you what. You talk, I'll listen. I'll listen. Oh, as a heartbreaking exchange. Because it's like, you know, finally Jerry has fully come over to believe in him. And then God has to go. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Well, what, and what is you talk, I'll listen? Bittersweet, I guess. Oh, yeah. totally. What is you talk, I'll listen? Prayer. Right. It's right. prayer. Exactly. He's saying, yeah. you'll, you'll pray and I'll hear it. And he touches Jerry's face, which is really beautiful. He it's so sweet. Turns and walks away. And the music builds. Back to Jerry. Back to the park. God's gone. Uh, by the way, George Burns is hiding behind one of those trees. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you for ruining that for me. <laughs> so here's the ultimate review on this movie. We, had, we watched it with Jax. 
Oh, and he has nice. been very much like, I only want to watch animated things. I only want kids. It's a goal, grown up thing. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. And I said, but let's, let's try it. And frequently I break the movie into sections because I'm typing so much that it's, right. it's not that fun for me. We watched 35 minutes of it and I paused it because my fingers were tired and I had to go, you know, shake my hands out a little bit. And Jax went, don't pause it. <laughs> we watched the whole movie. He was wow. in silence the whole time, just completely in it. And I turned to him in the end and I said, what'd you think? Did you like it? And he went, Pfft. and I went, really? Because <laughs> it seemed like you were really interested. And like five minutes later, he came to me and he said, you know what, dad? I loved it. Oh, yeah. Wow. He loved that movie. The reception, religious people, atheist people, agnostics loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Catholic people loved it. Jewish people loved it. You know, it's funny. We did a comedy about religion, Life of Brian, which religious people hated and understand yeah. why. And this one, which says, I'm not any one of these religions, religious people loved it. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert put it in his top 10 movies of the year, which 1977 is Star Wars and Annie Hall, all sorts of great movies that year. Uh, it earned $51 million, um, which is, you know, from a $2.2 million budget pretty good. Uh, Gelbart was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, didn't win. I found one other thing I wanted to say, and then we can get into final thoughts, which is, okay. uh, is Carl Renner just passed away, and Steve Martin wrote a wonderful article in the New York Times oh. about his relationship with Carl Reiner and oh. basically said that it's not that he learned comedy from Carl Reiner, because he understood right. comedy, but what he really learned was how to be a person. Yeah. Is that yeah. he was such a, I mean, he, you know, if you ever read his book, Born Standing Up, have you read that one? No, I haven't yet. Oh, you'd love it. It's great. It's okay. very short. And, and the world of him becoming successful and becoming like a rock star level success, success where he's you know, filling up stadiums and then mm -hmm. completely quitting stand-up. It's fascinating. And he was a wreck. He had no life. He had no, because right. he just was on the road. He, he didn't have any relationships. He was just really messed up. And when he starts working on The Jerk, he learned how to exist in the world. He, he drove to set every day. <laughs> um, with Carl and Carl would pick him up in his Honda Civic because there was a gas shortage and he wanted to save gas. And so Steve Martin bought a Honda Civic because that's what Carl Reiner did. Like uh, Carl Reiner had the last place in Los Angeles that delivered real seltzer water to him. And so Steve Martin got that. And he just like, and, and he said that Carl Reiner was just so kind and decent. And, and yeah. he, that's how he learned how to direct. So when Steve Martin became his own director, he was imitating Carl Reiner. Oh, wow. And this, this is the last thing he said in his, this article. And I'll just read it to you. So Carl, I raise my glass of seltzer and flip through the Rolodex of words that apply to you. Talent, energy, wisdom, humor. But for me, one of your qualities stands out that is not often cited in the legacies of the famous decency. All along, it was your decency that infused and invigorated your incredible gifts. Damn, that's great. Yeah. Well, and you think we talked about his son, Rob Reiner, is one of those mm -hmm. directors that people just love to work with, who was kind and yep. gentle. And so we have Carl and, and yeah, we, I made some comments about, you know, what they said about Terry Garr and I'm not ignoring that stuff. But Carl Reiner is one of these people that says you don't have to be a Kubrick or, or Ridley Scott or James Cameron who terrorized the people that work for you. You can have a really lovely time and make a really lovely movie. Yeah. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Uh, this is a film, as I said at the beginning, it's, actually, it's surprisingly topical. Universal conversations, universal questions, universal themes, universal explorations of our meaning, our the meaning of our existence, our worth in the world, uh, why we were created, 
all of it is here for you to explore if you want to explore it. And it's delivered in such fantastic detail and um, very memorable exchanges between George Burns and John Denver that will, if your heart is open to it, if your soul is open to it, if your mind is open to it, that will leave a mark on you and uh, will have you thinking about things and might change you if you've never seen this movie. If some of you are listening to us and you've never seen the movie and you're going to go back and watch it, don't be surprised that after you're done with this movie, you have a bit of a you know, very strong reaction to it emotionally or a strong reaction to it uh, intellectually uh, and maybe uh, you know, kind of take a, take a little bit of stock about what's going on in the world and what's going on with you. Um, I would not be surprised. And, it's, you know, and aside from all of that, fantastic direction, great actors all throughout. Um, and there's not an in, unbelievable moment in the movie. Not one uh, second that you question what's happening. Everyone delivers what they're supposed to deliver scene to scene, and it works so well. Um, and at the end, you might, be, you might just have a little smile on your face as well when the movie is over. And who doesn't want that uh, from a film like this? So that's my final thoughts. I feel like in a weird way, I've kind of given my final thoughts. But, okay. You know, this movie has been so it's just so influential on me and I really didn't realize it. And you don't, you know, you don't think of this kind of small comedy in the mid seventies as like a influential philosophical movie, but it is. And yeah. basically just about everything that God says in this movie is what I believe, even yeah. though I'm an atheist, <laughs> study it, listen to the words, think about it. And most importantly, man, be kind. Yeah. Cherish each other. It's our world. We can make it work if we work together. And if we don't, it's going to go down the drain, just like God said. So that's what we think of, oh God, we'd love to hear what you think. Visit us on our Facebook page, although I'm still banned from Facebook and have been for two months. <laughs> Maybe someday they'll let me back in, but uh, do a search for the Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor FM. Please leave reviews on iTunes. They're very, very important to us. We love reading your comments and interacting with you on YouTube. If you haven't seen Oh God and you can buy it or stream it along with every other movie we've ever uh, reviewed on cinephiles.net. You could support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where we have a whole bunch of new stuff we're doing, including special questions that you can ask, combined episodes of the show so you don't have to sit through those two-part breaks, um, all sorts of stuff, and cinephile shorts, which we now release every week. So that's patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can follow me on Twitter at SR Morris, at Instagram at SR Morris One. The cinephiles you can follow on Twitter at cine underscore files with an F. The cinephiles podcast on Instagram. John, how how can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to see uh, more of my content that I do outside of the cinephiles, go to uh, you, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says so much great content on there. Steve and I just did a review of Hamilton uh, for Disney uh, that uh, the Disney plus uh, uh, release of Hamilton. We did a nice 40 minute in-depth review of Hamilton and got nerd deep into that show as well. So, and uh, with uh, uh, if Steve has more time in the future, I will definitely have him on again we have just an easy rapport reviewing movies and it's a lot of fun to do that with him so look for that all that content there of course sports pro wrestling movies entertainment it's all there and those more then there's more coming and if you want to be part of my patreon patreon.com slash john roca uh we've got four new shows uh, on the patreon for patrons to enjoy uh, ahead of uh the everybody else so there you go that's uh, my plugs for everything well i love i always love coming on outlaw nation and maybe someday you will teach me the lesson of brevity 
<laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't, get there. You and I have never be taught that lesson, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so that is it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles with another great film. <laughs>